Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, beloved family. How are you doing? I normally say good morning. Now I say good afternoon. I'm thrilled to be with you at 2 p.m. Eastern, and I hope you've all been able to find us and transfer and listen to the wonderful new schedule from the Station of the Cross. Yesterday, uh, we had a gentleman write in that uh, asked about the certain legitimacy of a priest who has uh, canceled of a bishop who has canceled their priest. And I mentioned that at the Defending Our Faith conference this past weekend in Tyler, uh, I gave a talk on true obedience in the church. And it's not my talk. It's a little pamphlet written by Dr. Peter Kwasniewski. Um, and uh, I forget exactly the date, but uh, perhaps last year, or earlier this year, I have to look that up. <clears throat> it's way too long for me to read that little booklet. So I put together um, for the conference, according to its theme, excerpts from that book. So I'm going to read it to you. Uh, I think I'm going to hope to get through half today and then the other half tomorrow because the other second half of today's program, I still wish to uh, take your calls and your emails um, so again, this is mostly, I'm simply reading from Dr. Peter Kwasniewski's work with intermittent comments of my own, but it's mostly his work. Um, and the title is true, of his book is True Obedience in the Church, A Guide to Discernment in Challenging Times. And he begins with a quote by Roberto Di Mattei. He begins with other things as well, but again, I've kind of pared this down to what will work within an hour <clears throat> for my purpose at the, the last weekend's conference. And Roberto Di Mattei, a church historian, uh, live today, very wonderful, holy man of God, says, true obedience is the obedience of a person who in obeying is able to rise to and unite his will with that of God. False obedience is that of a person who divinizes the man who represents authority and accepts unlawful orders from him. He begins this way, or at least selecting uh, much of what uh, Dr. Kwasniewski He says, St. Thomas Aquinas' beautiful work on the perfection of the spiritual life. Obedience is the proper response <clears throat> of the creature who is a servant by nature and by grace. It is the path of one who knows his dependence on others for achieving his end, who understands the primacy of his maker and Lord and trusts in the order established by divine providence, by humbly obeying God and his representatives on earth, man negates the illusion of autonomy 
and enters into the liberty of the children of God who are led by his spirit of love, not by their own easily mistaken desires. Aquinas says that man, man makes a perfect offering of himself, not by giving up external goods, not even by giving up family ties and marriage, but only by giving up his own will. The exemplar of this liberating obedience is our Lord himself, about whom St. Paul says, hold on just a minute now, here we go. From the two, quote, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and in habit found as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, for which cause God also hath exalted him, and hath given him a name which is above all names, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those of those that are in heaven on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is in the glory of God the Father. End quote from St. Paul to the Philippians. <clears throat> Our Lord Jesus Christ presents to us the royal road of obedience that has always been put forward by the great saints, by St. Paul in his many letters, by Benedict in his holy rule, by the Desert Fathers and the Fathers of the Church, by Thomas Akempis in the imitation of Christ, by the Carmelite masters such as St. Teresa of Jesus and St. John of the Cross. What is more, the traditional liturgical rites of East and West offer us a perfect model and school of obedience because they put forth a complete order of worship down to every last prayer, chant, and ceremony and ask the ministers to submit to this order, to put it on the way they put the to put it on the way they put on their vestments and to obey it so totally that their individuality disappears and the primacy of Christ, the eternal high priest, comes to the fore. The Lord uses his ordained ministers as his animate rational instruments, the way a composer and a conductor employ the musicians in an orchestra to draw forth the beauty of a pre-written musical score. In this, Dr. Kwasniewski says, quote, the traditional liturgy exemplifies the virtue of obedience by having the priest obey the rigorous and comprehensive rubrics, giving him no options, no room for spontaneous improvisation, no open-ended flexibility of movement. He humbles himself, takes up the cross, and follows Christ to Calvary, end quote. Now, <clears throat> I shouldn't say end quote or beginning quote because 95% of this is Dr. Uh, Peter Kwasniewski's writing. Uh, I might uh, shorten a sentence. What I'm reading is about excerpts, half his booklet. And if you want to get the whole booklet, I couldn't recommend that more. True obedience. He says, we must begin by seeing that it is not obedience that comes first, but truth and charity. And this is why obedience, rightly understood, is not blind. 
In the order of being, there is first the truth and the love of this truth. And then, obedience is the only appropriate response to truth. The only appropriate response of the will to truth that is to be loved for its own sake. Take away truth and you take away love. Take away love and you take away the root of obedience. The New Testament insists on obedience to the Lord's commandments as the manifestation of true um, of the true charity Catholics owe their superiors in the church. Free, intelligent, conscientious obedience. What does that mean? For obedience to be able to be given, there are two fundamental conditions that must always be present, either explicitly or implicitly. First, there is trust. Trust is based on a belief that the superior loves us with Christian charity and wills our good, or at very least does not seek our injury or destruction. Little children have this trust quite naturally toward their parents, and in most cases it is fully justified by the affection the parents have for the children. This is why obedience, through difficult, though difficult for fallen human nature, is natural and obvious enough within the family. But we know sadly that in an abusive family, where a child sees that a parent is actually harming or seeking to harm him, trust is undermined. And therefore, an essential condition for the child's obedience to the parents vanishes. Second, there is what might be called rightful subordination. This means two things. First, it means that the superior himself is obedient to a higher authority. The superior must subject himself to God, to divine law and natural law, but he should also be respectful of custom and tradition, especially within the church, where these things have the force of law. Second, it means that the inferior is subject to the superior, listen to this now, only in those matters over which the superior has discretion or command, and that the inferior has the capacity to see when the superior is or may be transgressing the boundaries of his own position. And dear ones, that is the the case in many instances of the church today, where bishops are transgressing the boundaries of their own position. They're taking a power that they don't have. Oh, there's the music for our first break. I broke a perfect timing. Um, <clears throat> when we come back from the break, dear ones, we will continue with this article. And again, it's my talk at the Defending of the Faith Conference uh, this past weekend here in Tyler with Bishop Strickland and Dr. Janet Smith and others. Um, and I have uh, excerpted from uh, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski's work on true obedience in the church so my talk represents about half of what he's written but I am reading mostly from what he's written so again after the break after the second break we'll take your calls your texts your emails our toll free number 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com 
Are you looking for a simple, creative, and easy way to give to the Station of the Cross? Consider a transfer of stock to help us continue evangelizing our world over the airwaves, through mobile devices, and through our website. If you are being called by God to donate through a transfer of stock from your brokerage account to ours, please ask your broker to contact us at 1-877-888-6279. Your broker will need to indicate the number of shares being transferred as well as the QCIP number of those shares. That's 1-877-888-6279. Thank you for considering a gift of stock to the Station of the Cross so that we can continue proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. I'm Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth, heard weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. If Jesus meant what he said, as thousands of people are leaving him, don't you think he would have corrected him if they got him wrong? But he didn't. So he must have said what he meant. And he is the Eucharist. And no one else has that but the Catholic Church. And my wife said, what do you think? I said, I think we're Catholic. That's The Simple Truth, weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the Station on the Cross. I listen to the radio station daily, and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that, and through your programs, I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the Station on the Cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am thrilled. I am her. I am she. And, um... This is Mother Miriam Live, and we are in the middle, rather a quarter of the way through, um, the talk I gave this past weekend at Defending the Faith Conference here in Tyler. Uh, that conference was put together people in about a month's time uh, to support our magnificent Bishop Strickland, and I pray that you are all praying for him and for God's will. Um, and this is... Um, the matter of true obedience in the church. What is true obedience and what is false obedience are being um, uh, dismissed uh, and by bishops who are um, uh, not uh, transgressing, as Dr. Kwasniewski says, the boundaries of their own position. They're using it as positions of power and uh, they have no right to do that and what do priests do when the bishop told them, tells them they're suspended? Uh, do they obey or not? Continuing here, uh, again, uh, excerpts from Dr. Kwasniewski's writing. Um, he says, God alone, being supremely and infinitely good, being love itself, deserves absolute and unconditional obedience because he is worthy of all our trust. He has no superior but is himself the source and model 
and righteousness of all superiors, and he never wills anything other than our good. Archbishop Charles Chaplu said this, <clears throat> Christian obedience is never a form of unthinking servility. We have brains for a reason. Christian obedience is an act of love. It is a free gift of the self. And when obedience to authority becomes mechanical and excessive, or worse, if it serves a bad end, it crushes the spirit. All real love, and especially the love at the heart of a healthy obedience, is ordered to truth. Life in the church is no different. When authority undermines itself with corruption, falsehood, ambiguity, brutishness, cowardice, or mismanagement, mismanagement, fidelity to the truth requires faithful Christians to resist and challenge it. End quote from Archbishop Chapu. Dr. Kwasniewski says what we must understand is that obedience is beautiful because it is always obedience to God, whether immediately or immediately. According to Pope Leo XIII, the one whom we must always obey, the only one whom we ultimately obey, is God himself. It would be unworthy of human dignity, he says, that one man should have to submit to another man equal to him in nature unless the ruler rules in God's name and by his authority, for then we are giving our assent to what God wills through his minister. <clears throat> the implications of this point are staggering. Immediately we understand why any human being, no matter what his position in the church or in the state, is to be obeyed only if and when he commands, only if and when what he commands is in harmony with the law of God, or at very least not evidently, evidently opposed to it. I tell you, beloved, this is in perfect time to the synod on synodality, because our Holy Father has stated the church will be changed at the end of this. He wants to change the church. It will no longer be Catholic. And this is extremely important. We need to know what and whom and why to obey. If a civil law or an ecclesiastical law is at odds with the divine law or the natural law, which is the rational creature's participation in the eternal law of God's mind, then the principle memorably, uh, sorry, the principle memorably enunciated in the Acts of the Apostles takes forth, force we must obey God rather than men. If one has a serious and well-founded doubt about whether the human command is compatible with the divine or natural law, one should not obey it. I'm going to repeat this extremely important line. <clears throat> if one has a serious and well-founded doubt about whether the human command is compatible with the divine or natural law, one should not obey it. To say otherwise would be to say that in a case where we fear we might commit it, be committing a mortal sin or even a venial sin, we should go ahead and do it lest we offend our superior. Absolutely not. Catholic tradition recognizes the Pope's solemn duty toward the immemorial liturgical practice of the Church. According to the famous papal oath of the Liber 
Diurnus Romanorum Pontificum, a handbook of formularies used by the Pontifical Chancellery at the end of the first millennium, the Pope has to swear, quote, I shall keep inviolate the discipline and ritual of the Church, just as I found and received it, handed down by my predecessors, end quote. In one of its approved texts, the Council of Contents, excuse me, I'm trying to drown out hiccups. <laughs> In one of his, its approved texts, the Council of Constance states, quote, Since the Roman pontiff exercises such great power among mortals, it is right that he be bound all the more by the incontrovertible bonds of the faith and by the rites, R-I-T-E-S, that are to be observed regarding the church's sacraments. A theologian of the 16th century by the name of Francisco Suarez said this, quote, If the Pope lays down an order contrary to right customs, one does not have to obey him. If he tries to do something manifestly opposed to justice and to the common good, it would be licit to resist him. If he attacks by force, he could be repelled by force with the moderation characteristic of a good defense. Suarez, moreover, claims that the Pope could be schismatic, quote, if he wanted to overturn all the ecclesiastical ceremonies resting on apostolic tradition, end quote. <clears throat> Already in the fourth century, St. Athanasius the Great could say to the faithful, quote, for our canons and our forms were not given to the churches at the present day, but were wisely and safely transmitted to us from our forefathers, end quote. We ought to be skeptical of novelties that certain churchmen wish to add to the tradition or substitute for it and should be prepared to offer resistance in an attempt, if an attempt is made, to eliminate tradition which is unquestionably an essential and constitutive part of the Church's common good. In his gentle way, Cardinal Seurat, I, I wish he'd be the next Pope, <clears throat> Cardinal Seurat voices the same opinion in his commentary on the famous words of Benedict XVI, quote, What is sacred for the Church, then, is the unbroken chain that links her with, certain, with certainty to Jesus, a chain of faith without rupture or contradiction, a chain of prayer and liturgy without breakage or disavowal. Without this radical continuity, what credibility could the church still claim? In her, there is no turning back, but an organic and continuous development that we call the living tradition. The sacred cannot be decreed. It is received from God and passed on. End quote. We are not the revolutionaries or the disobedient, says Dr. Kwasniewski. Let us be absolutely clear about this. To attack the traditional Latin Mass or any of the traditional liturgical rites is to attack the providence of God the Father, to reject the work of Christ, the King and Lord of history, to blaspheme the fruitfulness of the Holy Ghost in the Church's life of prayer, it is contrary to the practice of every age of the church, of every saint, council, and pope,
prior to the 20th century. It contradicts several key virtues of the Christian life, most notably religion, gratitude, and humility. It implies the rejection of the dogmatic confession of faith contained in the traditional Latin lex orandi, that's the law of prayer, in its organic unfolding over at least 1,600 years, which is contrary to theological virtue of faith. It implies the rejection of the communion of the saints in a common lineage and patrimony of ecclesiastical worship, which is contrary to the theological virtue of charity. In the words of St. Thomas Aquinas, quote, unjust laws are acts of violence rather than laws, wherefore they do not bind in conscience. And the eminent church historian Roberto de Matai, whom we quoted earlier, says, quote, against the philosophy of revolt, against the philosophy of dissent, against the philosophy of the revolution, which has the devil as its prime inspiration, we oppose with the philosophy obedience of obedience to the divine law, violated and offended all over the world. It is for the sake of this supreme obedience that we are ready to withdraw our obedience to men, even those of the church, if grave circumstances require it. But if this happens, we do so with sorrow. We do so with respect by renewing our spirit of obedience to God and his law, renewing our love for the church and our neighbor to every brother whose will we wish to do according to the priorities of dependency and hierarchy which regulate the universe. We love order and we combat disorder. Our struggle against disorder is called counter-revolution, a movement whereby order is established and restored. Sebastian Morello writes, those Catholics who are anxiously conserving their inherited religious beliefs and practices are not the revolutionaries, and they are not the disobedient. Shamefully, such Catholics will be accused, indeed, already are being accused of disobedience. In reality, such Catholics simply do not want to be part of a revolutionary cause. It is precisely their obedience and fidelity to their tradition in face of the abusive exercise of arbitrary power that makes them the targets of revolution and disobedience. Such Catholics must be clear about this in their mind. In their minds, they are not the revolutionaries. They are not the disobedient. They are the faithful. And beloved, one of the greatest examples we have of that today is Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler. I ask you all to pray for him. We will continue with this tomorrow. This is our second break now coming up. And um, we will take now your calls and your emails following the break. Toll free, call in with anything that's on your heart, one 511 5483 or email at mother at We'll be right back.
please join us in a prayer to St. Anthony of Padua. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O dear protector, St. Anthony, on this day we direct our fervent prayer to you, asking you to hear us and to intercede for us. We are parents who ask for peace in our families, our worthy occupations, and our daily bread. We are children who ask for divine assistance and protection in the hope of a successful and happy future. We are the needy poor, the afflicted, and sinners who come to you for help and grace. Therefore, speak on our behalf to that child whom you hold in your arms, and we are sure of being heard. Amen. Beloved, this is Mother Miriam. How would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests? You can tune in to Sermons for Everyday Living every day at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you. Joe McLean here, host of A Catholic Take, heard on the Station of the Cross each weekday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern. A bold synthesis of information and inspiration, keeping you up to date on the news and issues that you may have missed from a courageous Catholic perspective. That's A Catholic Take, weekday morning, 7 a.m., right here on the Station of the Cross and the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. Download it today. God love you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour together. I love this half hour, and I, our lines are wide open. I love when you call in with questions. I don't always have the answer, but we try, or we have resources uh, to get the answer. So call in with anything on your heart, toll-free 1-877-5483. Um, did I do? No, I don't know what I just said. 877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We have John on the line. You've been a patient man, John. Thanks for calling in. Yeah. Hi. Um, so I don't want to cause scandal. I'm kind of conflicted here. <clears throat> so I have a very religious, pious friend. He's, he's very Catholic. He does his rosary every day. He attends the Latin mass very, devoted man. I do look up to him. Um, recently, however, like the last year or so, um, he's gotten into this group and he, he himself believes it very, very, very firmly. He denies the Holocaust. He says that the Jewish, that like Jews are the synagogue of Satan. Um, and him, him and I got into a very big argument yesterday and I haven't talked to him since. And, um, uh, I just thought I'd kind of come to you. I mean, I know that you were from like the Jewish faith once and you're also very devout. And I mean, I'm just kind of trying to get your sort of take on this. 
Good, John. And I'm still Jewish. I'm the most Jewish a Jew can be, is to be Catholic and believe in the Jewish Messiah and the church he founded. I would tell you a friend that I'm so grateful he has been a devout Catholic and loves God in the church. But in buying into this, I will say, satanic theology, um, that there was no Holocaust, and that the Jews are rejected by God and all that, that's satanic. There's nothing of God in that. I will tell him that he has left the Catholic Church, whether he has willed it or not, because the Catholic Church teaches no such thing. The Catholic Church teaches that they are, um, how do I say this, uh, Roy Shulman, an Orthodox Jew who became Catholic, says that Catholicism rightly says is the um, is post-Messianic Judaism spread through all the world. That is to say that God formed Abraham uh, and from Abraham took Abraham and from him made him a nation through which the Messiah would come. And we, of course, trace Abraham's seed through Isaac and, and Jacob and um, eventually up through David and the Messiah. It is the Jewish people who brought the world your friend's salvation. Apart from the Jewish people, he could not be saved. There's only one Savior, and he came from the Jewish people, and he founded the church on the apostles and prophets, Ephesians chapter 2. Let him read scriptures. He founded the church on the Jewish people. If the Jewish people rejected Christ, there would be no Messiah, there'd be no church. Um, The majority of Jews did, but not all of them. Today, the majority of Catholics in the world reject Christ, but there's still a faithful remnant. God has worked with a remnant all through history, and he did so at the Last Supper. He founded the church at the Last Supper when he introduced, he, he, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the word, uh, founded the priesthood and the Eucharist, uh, the Mass. At the Last Supper, they were all Jews there, founded on the Apostles, and prophets, all Jewish. And then he poured out his spirit on the Jewish holiday of Pentecost in Hebrew Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, their harvest when all the Jews would be in Jerusalem. And his spirit was poured out on thousands of them. And he poured out his Holy Spirit in them. And on what was historically the birthday of Judaism and became the birthday of the church, which is Judaism fulfilled in its Messiah. If he believes all that, it's all scriptural. Read Acts chapter 2. Read the whole Old Testament. If he believes that and then rejects the Jews, he is not of sound mind, or he has knowingly rejected the Catholic faith. If you reject the Jews, you reject the Savior who came through the Jews for the Jews and for the entire world. To reject the Jews is to reject the Savior who came through them, and then you are no longer Catholic and you are no longer Christian. Tell him that he has become part of a tremendously radical cult that I'm well aware of um, that has nothing to do with the Catholic Church, and he needs to examine it and tell him to read the encyclical Nostre Aetate. Um, Let me just see... Uh, N-O-S-T-R-E-A-T-A-T-E, 
I have to get the correct spelling. And um, um, hold on now. Um, here we go. Uh, look at number four. Number four. Um, as the sacred synod teaches into the mystery of the church, it remembers the bond that spiritually ties the people of the new covenant to Abraham's stock. The Church of Christ acknowledges that according to God's saving design, the beginnings of her faith and her election are found already among the patriarchs, Moses and the prophets. She professes all that all who believe in Christ, Abraham's sons, according to the faith, are included in the same patriarch's call, and likewise that the salvation of the Church is mysteriously foreshadowed by the chosen people's exodus from the land of bondage. The church, therefore, cannot forget that she received the revelation of the Old Testament through the people with whom God, in his inexpressible mercy, concluded the ancient covenant, nor can she forget that she draws sustenance from the root of that well-cultivated olive tree into which have been grafted the wild shoots who are the Gentiles. Indeed, the church believes that by the cross of Christ, our peace reconciled Jews and Gentiles, making both one in himself. And it goes on to quote many, many things uh, that I think you want to read. Read Nostra Aetatis, uh, particularly uh, point four. Um, um, Furthermore, in her rejection by every persecution against any man, the church, mindful of the patrimony she shares with the Jews, and moved not by political reasons, but by the gospel's spiritual love, decries hatred, persecutions, displays of anti-Semitism directed against Jews at any time and by anyone. So, um, my dear John, uh, this man has has... Uh, entered a false cult um, who denies the truth of Christianity, the truth of the Savior, the truth of Catholicism, the historical truth of the Holocaust, and he's in trouble. He is no longer Catholic. Right. Okay. And, and um, the Jews... Right, yeah, and I, I didn't want to come to that conclusion too, but I just needed to hear, you know, from from you. I, I trust your I trust your judgment. Um, and the Let Jews me just still interrupt are you. chosen. They still are. The Jews still are the chosen people, and there's a book that is um, covers it all. It's written by Roy Showman. Again, uh, he calls himself an entrant, a Jew who entered the Catholic Church, the fullness of Judaism. It's called Salvation is from the Jews. That's a quote from John chapter 4. Salvation is from the Jews. From Abraham to the second coming. From Abraham to the second coming. Many people think the Jews rejected their Messiah. Again, if they did, we'd have no church. There's always been. Uh, most Catholics have rejected uh, Christ today, the way they're living. Most bishops who have failed to speak out or speak falsely, or act against their ordination have have failed to to, to be part of the remnant, um, and so um, uh, the, God's covenant with Abraham perdures. 
God's covenant with Abraham continues until the second coming of Christ. What Christ fulfilled, people say, but the covenant was fulfilled. God um, uh, did away with the covenant. He did not. They don't clarify what covenant. The old covenant under Moses was conditional, and the Jews failed. And so Christ fulfilled it, and it doesn't exist anymore. Covenant, uh, Moses lived, um, I just say, um, I forget now, 500 years, say, after Abraham. And God gave the law to him. It was the law of God written in our hearts that Moses wrote on stone. And it was conditional. It was to say, here is how you, my people, because Abraham came from a pagan world, and they were worshiping pagan gods, including his own parents, and God drew them out, drew Abraham out. His name was Abram, meaning high and honored father, and changed his name to Abraham, meaning a father of many nations, and said, through you, Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, all the nations of the world would be blessed through his seed. And Paul writes in Galatians that the seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And when God gave Moses the law at the foot of Mount Sinai, it was to the family of families, the people of God formed from Abraham's seed who went through the exodus from Goshen, through the desert, and stood at the foot of Mount Sinai, and there God gave them the law. We say the Ten Commandments, but much more than Ten Commandments. Here is how you as my people of God are to live. And he said at the end of the Torah, the Pentateuch, the end of the five books, the book of Deuteronomy, he said, if you obey me, I bless you. If you disobey me, I curse you. Well, over and over again, the Jewish people disobeyed God, just like we do. But God brought the Messiah, not because of Israel's faithfulness, but because of his faithfulness to his covenant with Abraham. And so um, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He fulfilled the law. So the law of Moses and the sacrificial system no longer exists because in fulfilling the law, our Lord on the cross became this sacrificial lamb to which millions of Old Testament lambs pointed, the one true sacrifice which we offer to God every single day in the Mass. That is the Mass. We don't re-sacrifice him. We, we represent the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ that God wishes. Um, so the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, is no longer in existence because now we have its fulfillment. It all pointed to Christ. Every piece of furniture in the tabernacle, every feast, everything pointed to Christ, who was its fulfillment. However, again, the Mosaic law was conditional. And the Abrahamic covenant, which God made um, by putting Abraham to sleep, and, and God passed through the animals that he divided, um, God, uh, it's an eternal covenant. It will never be obliterated. It's, it's until it's God's faithfulness to the Jews till the second coming. And that's why 
Apostle Paul says that God has sent a blindness over the Jews. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11, especially chapter 11. He's put a blindness over their eyes for a time until the fullness of Gentiles is in and the gospel from the Jews spreads to the ends of the world and then all Israel will be saved. Doesn't mean every last person, but the people of Israel who will never cease being his people will be saved. My brother David is president of the Association of Hebrew Catholics all over the world. You can go to his website, HebrewCatholic.net, HebrewCatholic.net, and get all the information you wish. My dear brother John, I hope that helps. We're up against our next break. Is that okay? That's fine. Thank you. God bless you, dear one. Okay. What it means to be afraid, two main points. The first is he's teaching us to be not afraid. He says, fear not. Do not fear those who can kill the body. What is he talking about? He's talking about fear of human respect, fear of earthly persecution, fear of physical or even emotional suffering that we might have to endure. Do we allow fear of those things to direct our actions and decisions? The Lord is saying, don't do this. But then secondly, the Lord talks about from the perspective of what we should fear. Oftentimes don't think about that. He does teach that there are certain things that we should be afraid of. The Lord tells us that we should be afraid of sin. We should be afraid to trust in ourselves. Our Lord says, be afraid, not of one who can kill the body, but of one who can cast both body and soul into Gehenna, into hell. That's Sermons for Everyday Living from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Hear what listeners are saying about the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. Through the iCatholic Radio app, I have listened to the sermons and teachings several times. The effect has been a deeper understanding of my faith and Catholic tradition. This app has truly been a blessing in my life and has increased my faith. Listen live or at your convenience to your favorite shows. Just search for iCatholic Radio in your app store today. Station of the Cross has many ways to keep you informed about our programming. You can view the highlights of our primetime programming schedule or the full 24-7 programming grid at both thestationofthecross.com or the free iCatholic Radio app. Just search under the programming tab. Our website also offers a printable version for your convenience. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, This is... Mother Miriam live, and I am Mother Miriam, and I am live, and I know I sound crazy, but I'm very happy to be with you. And we have 10 minutes left, and our lines are still open if you'd like to call in with any question. John, I kind of talked so long on that last question because it's so important and kind of threw you off the phone at the end. If you had anything else to say or to ask, 
please call back right now and I'll we'll continue with that because it's very very important. So, okay, we have an email from Ronald who says, "Dear Mother Miriam, I've noticed for many years that whenever I have been to charismatic events within the Catholic Church on the last day, they have something called infilling or baptism of the Holy Spirit." <clears throat> The Blessed Sacrament is exposed, and then priests, lay, priests and lay leaders of the charismatic movement begin to walk around and lay their hands on people. Some people begin, begin to fall, cry, etc. My main question is, does the Catholic Church permit this while the Blessed Sacrament is exposed? If no, are there any documents that say so? Thank you for your time. God bless. Ronald, um, I'm looking something up on the, um, in the library of EWTN, and the question has been asked um, numerous times, and um, uh, hold on now, um, there's so much written here, um, but there was um, um, theological, okay, there is a document, um, uh, let's see, a theologically well-grounded document that first presents an overview of the doctrine on prayer for healing according to Catholic tradition. I'm on EWTN website. Um, if you look up EWTN and then healing masses, you'll see this. Um, let me read. Uh, it says, I'm going halfway down the article because we won't have time to go through the whole thing. Um, once the foundation has been laid, does the instruction endeavor to give precise norms? So I'm going to go right to the norms. They embrace all forms of prayer for healing, and they are number one. It is licit for every member of the faithful to pray to God for healing. When this is organized in a church or other sacred place, it is appropriate that such prayers be led by an ordained minister. Number two, prayers for healing are considered to be liturgical, if they are part of the liturgical books approved by the church's competent authority. Otherwise, they are non-liturgical. Number three, liturgical prayers for healing are celebrated according to, according to the rite prescribed in the Ordo Benedictionis Informorum of the Rituale Romanum, uh, Romanum and with the proper sacred vestments indicated therein. Um, uh, um, conferences of bishops may introduce those adaptations. Let me just skip some things here. The diocesan bishop has the right to issue norms for this particular church regarding liturgical services of healings following uh, Canon 838, number four. Um, and those who prepare liturgical services of healing must follow these norms in the celebration of such services. Permission to hold such services must be explicitly given even if they are organized by bishops or cardinals or include such as, such as participants, given a just and proportionate reason, the diocesan bishop has the right to forbid even the participation of an individual bishop. Non-liturgical prayers for healing are distinct from liturgical celebrations as gatherings for prayer or for reading of the word of God. These also fall under the vigilance of the local ordinary in accordance with Canon 839, number two. Um, hold on, anything 
anything resembling hysteria, artificiality, theatricality, or sensationalism, above all on the parts of those who are in charge of such gatherings, must not take place. Um, uh, there's so much else here. Um, all right, in celebrations... Um, the ministry of exorcism must be exercised in strict dependence on the diocesan bishop and in keeping with the norm, uh, so forth. Um, prayers of exorcism, it is absolutely forbidden to insert such prayers of exorcism into the celebration of the Holy Mass, the sacraments, or the liturgy of the hours. Those who direct healing services, whether liturgical or non-liturgical, are to strive to maintain a climate of peaceful devotion in the assembly and to exercise the necessary prudence of healings should take place among those present when the celebration is over. Any testimony can be, can, can be con- collected with honesty and accuracy and submitted to the proper ecclesiastical authority. Let me just uh, see if... Okay. In case of an authorized Eucharist, in case of an authorized Eucharist celebration, uh, Eucharistic celebration, the following outline must be followed regarding prayers, with respect to the norms regarding the use of votive masses or masses for various needs, only formularies present from the Roman Missal may be used. With respect to the rite of the Mass, the Roman Missal must be followed exactly, avoiding all abuse and undue creativity. It is possible after Mass is over to propose, propose Eucharistic adoration and conclude it with a single Eucharistic blessing given from the sanctuary. It must be recalled, however, that expo- exposition only to impart benediction is forbidden. Um, okay, exposition only to impart benediction is forbidden. And that's included in the introduction to the rite of Holy Communion and worship of the Holy Eucharist outside of Mass. So I would say um, what you're describing does not sound um, that it is within the norm of um, what the Church has laid out. But I can't read this whole thing or go through it on the air. Go to ew10.com slash Catholicism slash library slash healing hyphen masses slash 4917 or just go to EWTN and put in healing masses and you should bring up this document which is canonically um, correct and um, written by Father Edward McNamara uh, who is their canonical um, legionary of Christ uh, professor of Liturgy and Dean of Theology at the Regina Apostolorum University. Okay, I hope, I hope that helps you, dear one. I, I don't think it was as clear an answer as you wish, but I, I would, um, I'd be very careful about exposing the Eucharist at a so-called healing service um, if it is, um, um, again, uh, especially led by lay people. Okay. Um, Dear ones, we are um, just on the closing music. As I'm speaking, you'll hear it begin. Uh, I don't want to begin something new. We won't have time. 
but um, tomorrow we will we will conclude with true obedience in the church. It's very very important. If you're bishops, if you are priests listening, I would urge you to get a hold from Sophia Press, um, True Obedience in the Church by Dr. Peter Kwasniewski. Um, you are not subject to irrational laws by a bishop or a pope. You are not subject to it. You are not commanded to obey what is outside the authority of a bishop. You are a priest. You are ordained a priest. And you must, in the words of Dr. Kwasniewski, resist unjust laws, unjust um, power um, to thwart your priesthood. You must resist that. God bless all of you and we'll be with you tomorrow.